Hello, and welcome back to the Glossy Week in Review podcast. I am your host, senior fashion reporter Danny Parisi, and I'm here, as usual, with Glossy Editor-in-Chief Jill Manoff. Hello, Jill. How are you? Hello. Welcome back. Thank you. I missed you on the first week of, uh, or the first episode of the year, but how was your break? So Relaxing. good. Yeah, but I mean, good to be back to the swing of things. Yes, me too. I'm excited. I missed Week in Review. I missed all our listeners. And we've got a lot to talk about this week. Uh, We're going to be talking about several different pieces of news all around Kanye West. Um, Yeezy, Gap, Balenciaga, NFTs, all that good stuff. We're also going to look at some interesting details from the Real Reels annual consignment report that they put out every year. And finally, we will talk a little bit about Savage Fenty opening its first stores. But to start, we'll talk about Yeezy. Jill, there was so much Yeezy stuff this week. It felt like a bunch of things all at once. There was a, a sort of a flurry of news. So there was Yeezy dropped the, the perfect hoodie in a new colorway. There was a music video for the song Heaven and Hell from Donda, the album, which also doubled as a TV ad for the hoodie, uh, which premiered during a college football game. And on top of that, we learned that Kanye and Demino from Balenciaga were working on a Yeezy Gap Balenciaga collaboration. This was just a ton of stuff in a very short period of time. Which of those things jumped out the most to you? I mean, I, I think I can guess, but what did you think of the, the, all that news, all in a tight grouping like that? I mean, Gap's PR has been busy. Like I've been seeing Yeezy all over the place, uh, which, gosh, I was not I did not recall that uh, Kanye is yay. Demna is yes. just Demna. It's no, it's the thing. But um, Balenciaga, um, Yeezy Gap, engineered by Balenciaga is the official name of that uh, three three person three company collab. Um, that that was so surprising to me, and I don't know if it should have been because, as we know, um, Demna was creative director for uh, Donda, the the launch IRL events. Um, for Kanye's 10th album this year. So they've been collaborating already. Kanye's, Ye's uh, partnership with Gap is about a year old uh, of a 10-year partnership. So anyway, they're collaborating. He's collaborating with Demna. He just brought them all together. It maybe shouldn't have been as surprising as it was, but how cool for Gap. Yeah, I mean, it's great for Gap. I mean, and, and great for anyone who wants Balenciaga stuff at Gap prices, which is what I think is going to be the case. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, so like you said, we knew that Demna and Kanye, I'm just going to call him Kanye. Sorry, Kanye. But we knew that they had sort of like a personal relationship. They'd worked together in the past, much actually in a very similar um, capacity to how Kanye had worked with Virgil in the past, sort of as Virgil creative directing various um, albums or projects that he was working on. Um so, and I also think it goes to show something we've talked about in the past that like a personal connection between the creative people at two businesses is enough to to make the you know convince the business people to sign off. I think, um, but they both benefit from it. Obviously, Balenciaga is like such a prestigious name, uh, and I also feel like Gap has just been, you know. Maybe maybe I'm imagining this, but I feel like they've just been killing it recently. Like, and by recently, I mean the last two years or so. They've like got you know all these TikTok people are obsessed with it. They've got this huge deal with Kanye. They've got this going on with Balenciaga. I just feel like they have the a, a reach um, to uh, people that maybe Balenciaga couldn't reach on its own. So I definitely think like great for Gap that they scored this collaboration, but it it is mutually beneficial. 
Yeah, I like a lot. I can't think of, oh, God, I don't know her last name. Rachel, the fashion critic at GQ. Um, Sophia on our team interviewed her for this launch story on Balenciaga Gap Yeezy. And she had some interesting things to say, which I would so agree about how Kanye's aim has always been about in the fashion world, democratizing fashion. Um, and he really wants to kind of rewrite the the fashion aesthetic, what works. You you kind of see that with Balenciaga and the, what is it, the sneaker, the S, the triple S? Tri- the triple S, yeah. Triple S, it's kind of the same vibe. It's where it's like, uh, I, w- I want to say it's just like, it's quality, it's it's um, well-made, it's almost utilitarian. There's kind of this vibe um, that's not like a lot of the high-low fashion partnerships that we've seen a lot, which are like fashion with a capital F. Um, and so you kind of see that stamp on everything he does. And she really uh, like made the comparison, which has been ma- made before to kind of like Steve Jobs at, and and what Apple did to kind of streamline everything and make it minimalist and the impact that that had on on the world, on, on aesthetic in general. So um, he wants to he wants to rule, I guess, um, design. No, I, I think that makes sense. And that's and that's another thing I think we've talked about on this podcast is um, with like Yeezy sneakers with Adidas. That was a whole thing where it, when it first came out, they were very, very, very exclusive, very hard to get. And I think that kind of went against his vision for what he wanted to do with that line. And so they started to make a lot more of them. They're still, you know, a little bit more pricey than the average pair of sneakers, but they're attainable for like a normal person now, um, if you really want them in a way that they kind of weren't before. And and Balenciaga in general, I think is like not the most attainable brand if you're an average person. Um, so for, for, for Kanye, it probably makes sense to kind of filter it through the Gap collaboration and, and, be able to work with someone who he admires so much, which is Demna, and but in a way where like people can actually get this stuff if they want it. For sure. It doesn't come out till June, so I'm excited to see what exactly it is. Like you said, the price point probably more gap than Balenciaga, but um, you know, we saw with, what happened with Fendi and Skims, where I was expecting some sort of a steal, and it was pretty costly. Um, and yeah. we know that um, you know the round ja- jacket uh, Yeezy Gap's first drop was two hundred dollars, which is not outrageous, um, but I would say the higher end of, of Gap's price point. Yeah, definitely. And and one more thing about Yeezy Gap, I felt like when that deal was first signed, it kind of seemed a little bit like vaporware at first. So, you know, like it was a solid year or more before we even saw any product, I think, um, or if any actually came out. And and so it's definitely it's had a slow start, but it's like really manifesting now. You know, there's there's several things out. There's ad campaigns, there's collaborations like it's genuinely, you know, finally emerging from the the lab a little bit and, and it seems like it is going to be just as huge as uh, everyone kind of expected or thought or hoped that it might be like everything that's come out which has been very li- limited so far it's one jacket and one hoodie in a couple of colors but they've all been massive successes they've caused a you know huge amount of hype so if there was any sort of question of whether Kanye or Ye could still sort of drive that sort of hype or excitement, I think that's clearly answered. I mean, people are really, really excited about this stuff. Yeah, for sure. Uh, WWD actually had a great, a good um, stat in uh, that said, you know, after Monday, after this black hoodie was released and this commercial and music video happened, um, the the search search for Gap hoodies increased by 287 
1.4% in the hours following. Um, black Gap hoodies increased by 61%, um, which is significant. Um, so, yeah, people are taking notice. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, let's talk about the real real a little bit. So the real real every year they put out a uh, annual consignment report. They look through all the, the numbers, all the data, what's selling, um, who's selling it, who's buying, all that stuff, and they compile it into a report. And there's usually a lot of good information in there. It's not only a- applicable to resale. A-, a lot of it can I think be extrapolated out to fashion in general. Um, the thing that stood out to me, and Joe, we can we can share, you know, any other details you saw were interesting. We don't have to stay on one theme. But one thing that stuck out to me that I thought was interesting was the difference between who's selling and who's buying. And and you can sort of see the transfer of luxury assets like bags and dresses and, you know, all these like super expensive things from an older generation to a younger generation. Um, I think they, they broke it down by age group and uh I don't know if most sales were from boomers, but most boomers who used the real real were there for selling. Um, And Gen Z is the opposite. Gen Z is like buying up everything. So you can kind of see the the collected decades worth of fashion like moving from, you know, people in their 50s, 60s, 70s down to people in their 20s and 30s or even in their teens. Yeah, I don't know if they've ever broken it down like de- by demo before, but yeah, there were so many interesting stats. Like like you said, I I liked that Gen X is selling 90s ready to wear, Gen Z is buying 90s ready to wear, the changing of the hands. I mean, um and also um there were, there was calling attention to some of the brands that Gen Z was scooping up, which is the 90s um uh, 90s brands like Vivian Westwood and um trying to think what else was there. It was definitely Missoni. Jean-Paul Gaultier. Yes. Um vintage Prada. Yeah, a lot of 90s stuff was was and and that's like not that surprising if you've looked at a lot of fashion in the last couple of years. I mean, 90s silhouettes, 90s 90s prints, 90s styles are all like extremely popular and they have been for a couple of years. Yeah, there's also I mean, it's not in terms of changing hands, but um, the interesting stat that uh, Tiffany and co is still selling great, but it's not going to the kids, the Gen Z, despite um, all of the the campaigning that Tiffany and co has done to say not your mama's <laughs> Tiffany. Um, so I think that Gen Z, it, it, uh, no, 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 Gen X is, is the demo that's still that's buying it. Um I'm on the low end of Gen X. I wish I was a millennial. It sounds younger. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I did notice that too. And I, I think we've talked about that, I, although I don't think it was on the podcast, how Tiffany has had this big sort of rebranding effort. Um, they want to target a younger audience. They're doing all this edgy kind of cool stuff. Um, but I think we were saying that I don't think they've really messed with the actual product that much, just the way that it's sort of framed. Um, and granted, like, it's not always easy to change uh, an audience overnight. So maybe like not saying that those reframing efforts aren't effective yet, but it, it definitely seems like um, it's going to take a little while if they were are trying to become like sort of a Gen Z focused brand. It might be a bit before that actually happens. If the the real, real data is, is a good indicator, which I found that it is a lot of times. I think the customer doesn't really differentiate that much between what they're buying primary market and what they're buying secondary. So like if, a lot of Gen X are buying Tiffany from the real real. I think it's a pretty safe bet to say they're probably buying it straight from Tiffany as well. I thought it was interesting that the difference between what the real real was recording in terms of data versus what um, their customers were saying, like a lot of them 
a high percentage, I guess, based on a survey. I'm not sure how this data was taken. You know, they said that they they use the real real because of sustainability or um, to prolong the life of clothes. An interesting stat was that 40% said they're replacing shopping fast fashion with shopping resale, which we've talked about in the past. There's been a lot of buzz about this lately, like Rent the Runway just had a campaign at the start of the year, kind of um, make this your resolution. I, I'm not sure exactly what it was. Do away with fast fashion, uh, rent instead. Um, so kind of these alternative retail models that um, are gunning to be the next fast fashion, I guess. Um, and uh, they're more aligned with with Gen Z values, as we know. You know, when people talk about wanting to replace fast fashion and they just replace it with like buying stuff, like more new stuff from other things, I, I oftentimes think like it's not really solving the problem that much. But not to sound like a, a flack for, for resale companies, but I do think like buying secondhand is a genuinely more effective way at um, replacing fast fashion because it doesn't rely on making more new stuff. Um, although, Resale companies can also have a lot of emissions and stuff just from shipping things around and all the effort that goes into um, processing and intaking and sending this stuff back out. So they're not like totally free of, uh, you know, they're not like a perfectly sustainable option either, but nothing ever is really perfect. So, um, but yeah, but it, it is interesting. Speaking of like shipping and bouncing things around, there there's also um, we've talked to Fashion File in the past about um, you know when stores were shut down and Chanel sells certain things exclusively in its stores, like um, people were turning to resale to get a Chanel anything because that's all that was available. There were there's some some data here in this new report about the fact that people were turning to resale um, because of supply chain issues. Like you've talked about how. Every item on the real real has a unique skew. You know it's there. Like it's more of a sure thing to buy something via a resale site these days than it is via a retailer um, who either you know may just say we don't have supply. It just it's risky business, I would say. Yeah, definitely. And and for a lot of new things that come out, um, you know, if you look at goat or whatever. Um, the 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 Yeezy round jacket, for example, like you said, it only comes it only sells for two hundred dollars retail, but on Goat you can get it for like eight thousand dollars. The only reason it's that expensive is because it's impossible to get straight from Gap. If it was possible, no one would pay eight thousand dollars for it if you could just get it, you know, from Gap right away. So uh, the availability of things definitely plays a big role in um, how well stuff does on on resale. Yes. What were the stats? Have you got it available? There was a lot of um, information about what is selling for like outrageous, much, much more than the retail price. Some of the the items that are selling by um, way more than last year, New Balance shoes uh, and sneakers, Nike, some of the um, rarer or more high fashion, I don't know, unique collabs. Nike and New Balance were seeing um, a lot of traction, according to the real real. Yeah, and that makes sense. If you can't get something, you know, in the normal way, you go to a, a reseller. One more thing before we move on to Savage Fenty. A while ago, I wrote a story about the real real, and they tweeted it from their um, Twitter account, which was very nice of them. But I still to this day get like angry, and they oh, and they they tagged me in the tweet. And I still to this day get angry like mentions on my Twitter notifications of people responding to their tweet of my story, being like, "Why didn't my dress arrive?" and like <laughs> ye- yelling at them on this tweet that's now months old. And so I still get notifications from that all the time. So 
Um, oh my gosh. I, we've, we've talked about this a little bit. Um, well, there's also, they're adding, I don't know if it's a dollar. They, they do add a COVID surcharge nowadays. And I don't know what that's about. The real, real. Anyway, um, I'm sure a lot of their shoppers are not, <laughs> they're angry about many things. They're an irate people, very clearly. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so let's move on to the the last story we're going to talk about, which is Savage Fenty. Um, that's Rihanna's, obviously, very hugely successful lingerie brand. They announced that they are going to be opening their first brick-and-mortar stores, which they have never had before. There's going to be five in total, Houston, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, Philadelphia, and my hometown, Washington, D.C., um, which I'm, yeah, I'm excited about that. Um my my first thought about this, Jill, is it feels like sort of about time, right? It's they've been around for a couple of years, been very very popular um, without any stores, and you know a lot of brands do that. But I I was like surprised, almost surprised when I saw it because I was like they didn't have a store already. I kind of thought they did. Um, did you feel that way, or do you feel like it just you know makes sense? Oh my gosh, it makes perfect sense. And also, yeah, I I wasn't sure. I didn't know that they did not have one. I know that they were formerly with Textile Group and they were going to town and opening Fabletic stores. So I just assumed that um, they were either going to go there, but they've since, you know, broken off into their own own, um, company. Um, They recently received, pretty recently, February 21, um, a big chunk of funding, um, including from L. Catterton. Um, so they're valued now at a billion dollars. I think the next step for a lot of these companies, when you get a round of funding and you're looking for growth, open stores is kind of the next appropriate next step. Um, so makes sense to me. Yeah. And I wonder if they held off any, for, you know, for any period of time because of pandemic stuff. Um, I know early on, it was like sort of a stressful idea to imagine opening a store in like 2020 or even in, in the early parts of 2021. But I feel like now it's like almost a good time to do it because a lot of stores have closed down. Um, I think rents in some areas are lower, although I've I've heard that in the the best areas, like they basically never went lower. People are like, shopping, I think, a little more comfortably, maybe less so since Omicron. I don't really know. Um, so I wonder if that's a part of the motivation, too, is now they've held off for a while and now it feels, feels right. Yeah, it's a fairly young brand, which since 2018, I didn't realize quite that young. What do you think of the markets? Vegas, it's kind of <laughs> go where the sexy people are. Hey, they're wild. <laughs> but like there's no New York in the mix. There's, um, you know, even some of the second tier markets or emerging markets that we talk about time and time again, like the Austins. And I don't know, they, they feel a little bit, you know, outside of the box. Yeah, I, I want to know where in D.C. this is going to open, because that will, you know, the D.C. is not a big city, but uh, the various neighborhoods are very different places. I also am curious to know what the the format is going to be and specifically how they're going to handle like fit, um, because one and just in general, like lingerie and underwear, that, that's a big deal is like getting people the right fit. Um, but also, I feel like that's sort of been part of their um, part of their pitch from the beginning is is like catering to different body types, being very open and inclusive and stuff. And I think part of that for if you're going to open a physical store should be, you know, having some sort of way to to make the, the fit process like super easy, super seamless. I'm very curious to see how they're going to handle that. 
Yeah, I have no doubt that it'll be innovative. Um, we know with in terms of marketing, um, the brand, they had volume three, I think in September, they do this amazing like fashion show that's like a an extravaganza. It's, it's choreographed. It features celebrities left and right. Um, so yeah, I don't think they're going to do anything in a in a small way. Everything's um, unique and and you know statement making million they get millions of viewers with this with this Amazon dealio um but yeah i'm excited to see i feel like everything rihanna does kind of turns to gold we know like fenty skin fenty beauty it's valued at about 2.8 billion dollars um but then again we have to we do have to point to the fendi high fashion line that um yes. at the same time al catterton invested in savage by Fenty, um, they pulled out. They LVMH folded Fenty after only two years. So anyway, I feel like that did not have the same kind of approach that Rihanna that that's winning for Rihanna, which is about diversity and and the forty shades of foundation and um, really catering to all women. It was definitely a high price point, a definitely a singular look and feel. Um, I don't know. What do you think? What what what's working and what's not? Like what happened to that other brand? Do you agree? I honestly I like forgot that that even existed until you said everything she touches turns to gold, and I was like, wait, I don't think that's right. I think there was one thing that did not turn to gold. Honestly, off the top of my head, I don't really know. I I, I just I, I definitely think you're right that it was totally the opposite direction of all of her other ventures. You know, it like it's super exclusive. It was with LVMH, and like I think there is a certain type of customer who might say that they love inclusivity and, and, you know, diversity and stuff. And I'm talking like a, a typical LVMH type of customer who then when it actually is there is like, you know, not as big a supporter of it. And, and I think the customers that made Savage by Fenty and Fenty Beauty such a huge success are like not the same people who would be buying, you know, like a high-end luxury product from the same company or from the same creative talent. So I, I think you're right. I mean, other than that, I don't really know what else to say, but I definitely think it was, you know, a very much the opposite direction of what she's been doing with all her other ventures that have all been successes. So um, I think that pretty much tells you what you need to know. <laughs> and that I would still kill for that blazer with the cinch waist by Fenty. But anyway, besides <laughs> the point. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, excited to see. So Vegas in not June, coming soon. <laughs> coming coming soon. I don't think there's a date on it, but that's the other thing, I guess, is we'll see if it's going to be 2022. I imagine it'll be before the end of the year. Yeah, they said all these cities in early 2022, so shouldn't oh, be Oh, okay, great. Well, there we go. So by by June, we will have five new uh, Fenty or Savage Fenty stores and a Yeezy Gap Balenciaga collaboration to look forward to. Man, what a busy week. There's been a lot. Wow, it's going to be mage this 2022. Are you feeling 22? <laughs> I'm quoting Taylor Swift. I'm feeling 28, which is the worst way to feel. Um, oh, he's a millennial. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm at the very, I'm like literally, if I was one year younger, I think I would be like a very old Gen Z, I think. Or maybe I have this, I have this mixed up. I'm like on the cusp of something. But anyway, Jill, thank you so much for joining me. This has been so fun and we'll see you all next week. See you soon. 